when I was very, very young, I think, I think junior high school or even younger, because my dad, he worked in the semiconductor industry. His company was a vendor of a TSNC. So when I wake up in the morning, he was already in the office. When I go to sleep, he like hasn't come home yet. So I was like, okay, why, why working so hard when I was young? And I talked to my parents saying, I want to start a really huge company in the future. And I'm going to recruit all of you into my company and then give you a credit card. So you just go out shopping every day and you don't need to work. And my younger sister, she really like anticipating this. <laughs> <laughs> she always like, oh, when, when, where is the credit card? <laughs> this is Startup Island Taiwan, the channel all about cutting edge technology, influential global tech players, and Taiwan. Welcome to the Startup Island Taiwan podcast. My name is John from Asianometry. I'm your guest host today. And I'm here today with Jeff Hu, founder and CEO of Turing Space. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm Jeff. I'm the CEO and founder of Turing Space. How about we get started by you explaining to me a little bit about your journey, about how you came to be sitting here in the seat? Sure. Um, we spent 3.5 years uh, till we founded in 2020. And our final vision is actually to solve the trust problem. So we are kind of a trust tech company. Uh, we don't say like we are a blockchain company. We're likely a cybersecurity or a trust tech or a data production company like that. So uh, we start with putting certificates on blockchain. So it's, it's that simple. Like we, we were in school, a group of nerds, engineer, and then we tried to find out something that how blockchain can be applied to our daily life. I was in Berkeley and I talked to the engineering school saying, do you want to put your graduation diploma onto our system, we can put them on blockchain so everyone in the world can verify it. And you don't need to pick up the call to answer the verification call. Uh, they say, we understand the technology, but uh, it's impossible. They didn't say, it's impossible to change the behavior of the human. You're gonna need 10 years. So I think as a startup founder, I was like, a bit frustrated. So what I do is actually I walk to the next door. I go to the Berkeley Law School. I say the same thing to the dean of the Berkeley Law. And he said, I don't understand the technology, but uh, it sounds fancy. I want fancy stuff. So do you have linking feature? Can I add your e-certificate on the linking? And I say, uh, we, we need two weeks because I haven't even developed this kind of feature. So I go back to dorm. I put a feature in and then we got the first contract. And then they say, okay, I'm going to give you like 60 students, their name, their email, and then just help us certify on blockchain. And that's our first contract. And we start from that. We're moving on to be a like ad tech certification company. After two years, we realize it doesn't work. School, they don't have budget. They have the printing budget for us, and that is too few. So we move on to serve governments. And then we realize governments, the sales cycle is too long. So we pivot. We're right now serving two uh, large important clients group. One is healthcare. Uh, we certify the healthcare document onto blockchain. The second one is real estates because they have the budget, they have the em emergency and they know the, the demands. So, yeah. So how did it come to be that you focused on this idea of trust? Like when did that angle kind of appear to you? You mentioned that it was just, you just brought it up, right? How did that thinking go? Yeah, uh, I think it's like, it's not 100% ready yet uh, at the first year. So the, the thoughts is actually developing uh, during the years. And for 2023, you know, like AIGC is uh, everywhere. So people can easily create a photo, a picture, a video, a soundtrack, text by AI. And it's become harder and harder for people to verify the source of it, to verify which is true, which is not true, which is right, which is wrong. So like forging content become more easy. 
And we were thinking that in 2030, 99.9% .9 of the content must be fake. And how can we tell the differences? How can we verify it right at the moment? So Turing going to be that gateway for people to quickly assess the trust to verify what is right or wrong. And that trust is based on the blockchain technology? Uh, blockchain is a, a bit. So blockchain accounts for right in 10% of our technology. The majority of our technology based on e-signature, uh, so digital signature based on the hash for data integrity, based on the, the encryption method, the cryptology, and based on how we do uh, zero knowledge proof to make sure when people are verifying your personal data and they don't know a thing, they can only verify and get a yes-no questions uh, without revealing the confidentiality. So I think cryptology is the, the majority of the technology we used. And how did your team develop from there? Like, How many people are you are today? Uh, we have around 18 full-time people right now in the team. Uh, we used to have only two in the past year. Me, I do the tech and sales. The other person, uh, Yuffie, our previous CEO, she did the product and everything else. So we're two. We have a few like contractors who do R&D. Second year, we have an eight people. So we have we started having like full-time engineer. So uh, I don't need to do the tech side and move on to sell the products. And then third year, we have the BD team setup. So I don't need to sell the product because they do better than me. So I, I move on to do the marketing part. And then right now in the 3.5 year, I, I think I have less and less thing that I can do because people do better than me. So that's the reason why I can come here to podcast, <laughs> <laughs> share our thoughts and visions because that's uh, what I really, really like to do. And what is the kind of what is your vision for this company for, for Turing Space? There are two in our seven year in 2027. We just want to go IPO on NASDAQ. Because one of the challenge, the most difficult one. The second vision is, I think Turing is a long-term project. So after 2027, uh, our shareholder or, or uh, team member, they can go retire. We have a principal talking to our team member saying, in your 35-year-old, everyone going to go retire. So we don't want you to keep on working if you stay in Turing. So after 2027, Turing will start to become a foundation. So we have Turing for healthcare, Turing for real estate, Turing for different kind of things that need the trust and trustful verification. So you're going to be a like international group after our seven year. So if I understand this, you said that by 2027, Turing is going to convert into a foundation? Uh, yeah. Interesting. That's in the charter? Like that's the goal, right? Yeah. That's one of the any approaches because uh, Turing start collecting a lot of like very important and confidential data. Right now we have, uh, we have 12 hospitals and health association using us to issue very sensitive uh, information about people and patients. And in order to make sure when a company is so huge, we have so many uh, lifelong data about each person, we need a way that to, to be like decentralized. We need a way that we can stay in the middle and not to become a bad guy. So I think it's the same structure as OpenAI. So foundation run the protocol, the private company run the like monetizing stuff at the same time. And uh, where are these customers kind of located? In the States, in Taiwan, like where are they located? For today, uh, I think Taiwan still account for 70% of the customers. Japan account for 20. And overseas, we have around 10%. But in, in next year, in 2024, we wish that Japan and overseas client can account for 50% out of the entire scope because Taiwan will gradually become our R&D center we have our engineer, we have our cryptologist right here, a research center right here. But we actually want to, I mean, earn money from people abroad <laughs> in Japan. 
in Switzerland, uh, in, in European countries like that. So you're building a team overseas, right? Uh, yeah, we do. So they're the ones going out and trying to, to, you know, knock doors and try to get these other international customers into the door, right? Yeah, exactly. We are more like, uh, oh, right now Tune is a US, like Delaware-based company. We are a C-Corp uh, holding right there. Uh, Taiwan is one of the subsidiary R&D center. Japan, in Shibuya, Tokyo, we have another subsidiary right there. And next year in 2024, we are planning to set up one more in Switzerland, but we haven't decided yet because um, we are comparing countries right now. For our people in Taiwan, we have all kind of like team right here, but outside, like in Japan, in Europe, most are BDA marketing. Um, so in summary, I think Turing is a technology lobbyist. So we try to persuade people to use new technology and that thing will change your behavior, but upgrade how you view uh, the life and, and your trust. What's been some of the challenges of kind of taking this idea abroad and selling it to people who of different cultures? There are so many, a lot of uh, difficulties and challenges, and they're usually like different from country to country. For example, in Japan, uh, when we first get there like two years ago, um, they were saying like, Jeff, do you have any reference cases in Japan? And we have none. So it's very difficult to kick off. So what we do is actually we need to get a strong introducer so we can get the first reference cases. So we get Deloitte supporting us. We get a Mizuho Bank supporting us. And we spend one year to get that. And when it's supporting us, we got contract from Tokyo City, uh, Fukuoka City and Osaka City. When the city started using us, the company will be interested. They say, Jeff, can you come to our office and do some introduction? We go to their offices and they say, okay, Jeff, but you don't have cases for, for example, like the blood test certificates or blood test report. So our next step is to show our cases that is uh, successful launched in Taiwan and then to show them, okay, in Taiwan, we can help hospital doing a health check report. So we can do the same thing for Japan for blood test report. And then they accept it. We get it. The second case, the third case. So right now, we, I think we have five government clients and 10 large company client uh, right now in Japan uh, after two years of expansion. We have two people staying in Tokyo and uh, Osaka, and there will be six in 2024. So that's how we expand the markets. Like how has it been managing those people and just kind of making sure everything keeps going forward as planned? I think that's a really good question. And that's uh, one of the key things of Tiering. Uh, I think we have a special culture that we have always set up goal that is totally out of our skill scope. That is totally out of our reach. And when we set up go right there and people will get panic, people will start talking about, okay, is it possible? How, how are we going to solve it? So people will totally change how they do things in the last year. They're going to do things in the new way for 2024, for 2025, in order to reach that goal that is so far away. So I think that's the first thing how we grow. The second thing is we love team members who are ex-founder or ex-founding team. So out of the 18 people, I think we have six. They're ex-founder, uh, including me and our CTO. So uh, ex-founder, they have a benefit. Like they don't really, how to say, rest. <laughs> so you just give them the goal and then they will find old methods in order to reach the goal. Um, and they, they are self-driving and you can put it everywhere in the world and then things are going to happen right there. How do you find these people? How do you recruit them to kind of get them to buy into your mission? Yeah, I think that's a second important question. Like, how do you meet those people? Um, I think we, we're just lucky. And I have a few approaches that might be, uh, could be useful. I, I don't know for, for the other solar founders. So the first thing I do is I try to do as many as presentations or speeches in public uh, as I could. 
So I think the craziest year is and in 2021, I did nearly 60 speeches in one year. So nearly like two per week. Um, I think I did eight in National Taiwan University, four or six in National Taiwan University, do it a lot of places. Because I realized one thing is when there's someone I want to recruit, I don't know him or her, and that person doesn't know me. This kind of conversation is going to be taking a long time. But if I'm a speaker, that person's audiences, he or she already understand what I do, what is my vision. So it's only for him or her to decide, am I going to be a part of it? So just that person come to me, we exchange contact, we have one dinner or one lunch together, and then we can decide, okay, I need that person in the journey. And that person already agree with what we want to do. So I think speeches is one of the best way for at least for me, to quickly recruit people who have the same, same minds. And then uh, how did you get all those speeches? Like, oh. That's so crazy. <laughs> uh, I think we, we are also lucky for that. Because uh, uh, for Turing, there is some keywords like people like it. I mean, I was young. I was uh, 22 when, when I first started like, Turing uh, right after school. So the first keyword is like, okay, young entrepreneur. The school like it. They say, okay, okay, you can share with our students, like, how can you become an entrepreneur at, at a young age? And actually, I don't have anything to teach them, but I just be invited. So young entrepreneur is one of them. The second thing is, because I studied my undergrad in Hong Kong, in my grad school in US. So they want this kind of like global mindset. I don't even know, do I have it or not, but they want a global mindset. So that's the second keyword. They also want like new tech. So blockchain is a new tech. So for this keywords, people like keep uh, introducing me to the other like speech session, the other speech session, and I don't know how to say no. So at 2021, if you invite me, I just go. So yeah. Were you always having that sort of entrepreneur drive early on, or was this something that emerged later on? Uh, it wasn't that clear at the starting point. When I was very, very young, I think in junior high school or even younger, because my dad, he worked in the semiconductor industry. His company was a vendor of a TSNC. So when I wake up in the morning, he was already in the office. When I go to sleep, he like hasn't come home yet. So I was like, okay, why, why working so hard when I was young? And I talked to my parents saying, I want to start a really huge company in the future. And I'm going to recruit all of you into my company and then give you a credit cost. You just go out shopping every day and you don't need to work. And my younger sister, she really like anticipating this. <laughs> <laughs> she always like, oh, when, when, where is the credit card? <laughs> so I think I have that very simple and naive vision when I was super young. And I don't even know what is starting a company be like. And when I was 18 in Hong Kong, I got a first chance because I was doing like computer science. This is writing very simple codes. Uh, there's a team, two co-founders or three co-founders. They came to me saying they are doing a travel technology company. They want someone who can write codes. They don't know how to write codes. So they want a CTO and co-founder. And I was like, oh, I was trying to look for an internship, but you invite me to be a CTO and co-founder. Why not? So I joined the team. The team fell within six months. And that's my first journey. What did they do? In short, they want to automate and simplify how people plan trip for backpackers by only three clicks. So right now, even though we have so many platforms right there, we still need to like look for the spots on Google Map, on somewhere, on the, on the discussion platform, whatever. You spend one day or two days to plan our entire trip. We need to book, make reservation for the restaurants, for the theater, for the museum. And there are usually some like time conflict in between. We need to plan out the travel, how we move from one place to the other place. That is very complicated. In 2014, when I was first year in the travel tech company, we wanted to let people only click three buttons to plan out everything. And that is technically impossible was it more like they just there wasn't any interest in it or really it was like on a technical basis just impossible uh i think technical we need so much resources because 
at that time, the Google map was in the old version. We don't even have like Trivago Expedia right now. So there are no API supports. So for everything we want to build up block by block, we need to start entire project for that block, starting from zero. And then we can complete that with a team of four. And that, that's too difficult. After six months, the three co-founders, because they are graduate students, they graduate, they found a job in IBM. And they told me that, Jeff, the company is all yours. We want to like raise our family. And so we go to IBM. So I closed down the company. What did you learn from that kind of looking back on it now? Yeah, I think the most important thing is to find a co-founder. You need to make sure that person, he or she has a savings for not working, but he or she can still find the next meal in the coming two years. If not, if that person is also a student, but not from a rich family, <laughs> this doesn't work. Because you, you need to always find out uh, what generate money for you and then you can have your next meal. And that would be so tough. So when I started touring, for the first two years, I don't start with the products. The first two years, I want to accumulate my, uh, how to say, the budget for meal for the incoming two years. So I take projects, I get money from the projects for the first two years. So that's what we do things. So you were doing like consulting or like freelance, kind of all related to... To blockchain technology, 2018 to 2020. Interesting. So this was like technical consulting or... So we do a lot of smart contracts uh, at the time for, for different projects. One project is actually for a movie. It's called Shenren uh, Dao, The Last Thieves, run by uh, Xu Jiakai, uh, Yan, and also like Zhen Zhiwei. And so for that movie, I think we, we wrote like 27 smart contracts on Ethereum for them to run the, the token. And at the time, token wasn't a bad thing. At the time, token was a good thing. So that's what, how we generate revenue and then have a personal savings. After two years in 2020, uh, I think we, our team, we have eight people, eight engineers. We have like two groups having two different thoughts. One group saying, why don't we just continue generating more money? We will live in a happy life. We can order foods in restaurant without looking at the price. Because the taking project is so easy in 2018 to 2020. Me and our two senior engineers and also one designer, we said we want to do something that is more difficult, but having more impact. And we don't have a topic at the time. So Turing says the certificate on blockchain is actually one of the topic, one of the research out of the so many projects we have in, in 2020, uh, and we picked them and move on to study US. I put a project into the accelerator in Berkeley Skydeck in other places and then start evolving right there. So the company split essentially, right? We just closed the company. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's easier. Yeah, it's easier to close the company and then, and then people start from their own. So did you stay in touch with the people who wanted to just keep on doing what they were doing? Like, how did they end up? Yeah, for the other three people, they are right now in our company. Uh, yeah, they came back. The head of design, one of the senior back end, the other one is a CTO and co-founder right now. And I believe they are getting much more experiences and like feel of rewarding when, when they're in this startup. Is like blockchain freelance work as popular now? I think it's popular, but it's not a golden age compared to 2018. At the time, 2018 is like, there are so many projects right there and people don't care about what you built. I, I shouldn't say that, but uh, people, they have so many cases. They want to just make it blockchain enabled. They have so many ideas. They are chasing you with money and you just need to pick and arrange your, your schedule and then take one and take one and take one and then you can complete it. And things are so simple like you just need to build smart contract by Solidity. But it's totally different right now. There are too many competitors and people who do blockchain consultancy, they're evolving into a larger scale company. So for freelancers, it's hard for people to, to believe in like why you can do better compared to them. 
So there's like large companies now that do handle and serve this market. Yes. So looking back on it, do you think it was the right idea to kind of pivot away or just kind of go for more experience rather than continuing doing the freelance stuff? Because uh, I cannot go back and change my decision. So for everything, no matter good or bad, I think that's a, a must during the journey. So if I restart again, I still want to do blockchain consulting in 2018 to 2020 to know enough amount of people, to know blockchain can actually be applied to different industries, not only gaming or not only uh, finance. And some people I met during 2018 to 2020, actually, we are still like connected or they're one of the supporters to our company uh, till now. So I think that's a, the key thing uh, we did in the past. Were you keeping tracks on the blockchain industry during 2020 to 2022, 2021? We did, but it's not our major focus. We only like look out for one thing is which blockchain will survive eventually. Because even in 2023, I think people are unsure like which blockchain will be the, the major adopted blockchain in future, maybe in 2030. For example, like Solana used to be one of the like, popular star, but just because one human arrow then a exchange crashed, the chain crashed at the same time, and it's just gone. So uh, even though like Ethereum, they are one of the most adopted blockchain right now, but we don't know what will happen tomorrow. So for Turing, we only use blockchain that for accomplishing 10% of our technology. We use blockchain as a database, a global accessible database um, to store the verification code. So you can imagine that for every certificate you receive, we put the raw data, one on our side, one on the authority side, the issuer. And then we encrypt this to make it a verification code, more like invoice number. And then we put that invoice number onto blockchain. So if we die, people can still verify. If issuer die, people can still verify. If blockchain die, we have a backup notes that we have like enough time for we to migrate to the second blockchain, to the third blockchain. So try to make sure the risk are reduced to nearly zero because we want to store a lifelong passport for people. You mentioned kind of what that's what customers want. What other things do customers care about in your industry? Like what are they looking for when you talk about trust? It's all, totally not as we planned. So we were thinking like people care about real or not real. But I think in 2023, people usually trust something. They don't care is it real or not real most of the time because people think the other people are good men. Most of the time. And for that, so we cannot sell by the fact of, okay, we can that you verify because people don't verify. But people like, first thing is efficiency and cost down. For example, when a large party who issue half a million certificate every year, the cost of printing, their cost of delivery by the post office is so huge. So when they talk to us, they say, Jeff, do you mean that by using your service or finance sheet, we can put a zero? On the printing, we can put a zero on the delivery fee. Is that right? And then we say yes. And say, okay, we're going to sign the contract today because your service is much cheaper. So I think the first thing, the cost and the efficiency. Second, we reduce the risk of issuing the wrong uh, or incorrect certificate to zero. What I say is, you can imagine if we do everything on paper for school, for hospital, for government, they usually send out those kind of paper documents and that thing is valid. But the, the ratio for them to issue the wrong one like not intentionally by putting 2023 as 2022. Like a misspelling or something. Yeah, misspelling is 20%. It's so huge. Like it's always happened, uh, 10 to 20%. So when, when they give out a valid certificate, but with an incorrect or misspelled information, like how can people use? For tuning, we can revoke the wrong certificate right at the moment. So when you issue 5,000 certificate, you realize 500 of them 
a wrong one, you can revoke it with a private key right away and then update the information right there. Because blockchain is immutable, so we can actually revoke information on blockchain. So we put it, like, how to say, uh, the update version, the version 2, version 3 on blockchain. Uh, we do have the wrong version of blockchain, but we told people which one is right and updated in the future. So it's kind of like a resume. So people can look up on the blockchain this certificate, right? Uh, they could. How would yeah. they do that? They usually, when they want to access our certificate, they have two approach. One is if it's paper printed, there will be a QR code. So phone scan, and they can view the digital original copy. We call it digital original copy on, on the phone. They click the blockchain transaction and they can go to the Explorer right there. Uh, we, use, we currently use a blockchain called IOTA. IOTA is based in uh, European Union, based in Germany and Switzerland. So they can on Explorer. Second way is for every certificate, because they are a QR code, QR code is actually a URL, right? They're the same, same thing. One is for human eye, the other one is for computer. So URL on LinkedIn or whatever, they can click in the URL, they see the same thing, the digital original copy, and then they can verify it right away. So they do they need a web browser? Do they need a specific app that you create? No, app. no, no app. I think within the app era, is ended for the incoming future. They only need a browser to do that. And then how do you make sure that that information is not tampered with, or is that something to just blockchain fix, right? For the technology aspect, we use digital signature to make sure the source is authenticated. So that's the first. The second, we use a hash to protect the data integrity. So it's not tampered, easily tampered, because the hash is one way and change it one data bit can change the entire hash results. So those are not blockchain related. Those are cryptography. Why we use blockchain? One is for long-term storage. Like I said, we store the data on our site, on the authority site, and the invoice on blockchain. So if we don't use blockchain, uh, we store the invoice on our site. If we go out of business in the future, it's impossible for people to verify it. So blockchain actually provide a way for people to verify their certificate after 20 years, after 40 years. And they need to do that because we do issue some certificate that is like birth certificate and death certificate for a few hospital. It's still under POC because the birth certificate is the first certificate of people. The death is the last one. And during the entire journey of human 80 or 85 years, you have your study journey. There are so many certificates. You have your working journey, like proof of employment, proof of like not employment, this kind of things. You have your healthcare journey, your different kind of treatments, your medicine, uh, different kind of journey. You have your financial journey. So... Chain's mission is actually to put entire people's life under one identity. And by the identity that is in your mobile phone or somewhere else, we are also looking in like embodied chips to store your identity. So it's make it portable, but uh, still under development right now. So what I want to say is, uh, so I forgot the original question. Is the whole certificate stored on the blockchain or uh, is it just like, no. no, part of it? We only store the invoice, the part that is for verification. So then I guess my, I can, maybe I don't understand it, but it's more like just what happens if like, for example, like Turing space vanishes, right? How do you still see what was on the certificate? Or is that like, am I looking at it wrong? You're right. Because the raw data is stored in two places. One is authority, let's say Taiwan city governments. Taiwan city governments store one data set. Turing store second, uh, the same data set. The verification hash store on blockchain. So if... We don't work in the future. People can still get their raw data on Taipei city governments and verify it on the blockchain. If the other way, like Taipei city governments, I don't know. but Like they lose a record. <laughs> like they lose a record or something. Yeah. So then like then how do they get a new certificate 
I guess my question is then, does the hash tell them exactly what was on the certificate or does it help them confirm what was on the certificate? Uh, so the hash, you can use a hash to check several things. One is, does this thing happen in 2018, May 20? So the timestamp can be verified. So you know, when does it happen? Second, is the raw data, data content exactly the same as when it has been issued? Nothing has been changed. The hash can do that. That's the second thing. The hash can also do it because we put a digital signature in it. You can know, okay, is it 100% sure it came from Taipei city government's that agency? So you can verify source, the timestamp, integrity of data at the same time. So walk me through a scenario when something goes wrong, right? Like let's say Taipei city government, you know, cat eats the certificate. They do a new certificate or they give me the wrong certificate, right? And I look at it. And then I use the, I guess, the certificate on the blockchain, but it shows something wrong. What's wrong about it? Like, what is it showing that means that I need to do something? Uh, for example, Taiwan City government, they deliver their certificate to the users. So maybe it's a, one of the citizens that say they use us to issue high school student diploma. So, for example, one of the high school students, he is applying for school abroad, for example, in Cambridge or whatever. And for that certificates, when he or she sent across a link to Cambridge. Cambridge can actually verify back to Turing's platform and then check in on blockchain to compare the, the hash. If it turned out to be a green check, like it's matched, it's okay. If it turned out to be not a green check, there could be a few problems. One is the certificate has already been expired because we do store another thing called expiration date on a certificate. So we can also check, is it valid or invalid? Why would you expire a certificate? Because some certificate, especially valuable certificate, they are renewed every year. Like a driver's license or something? Could be driver's license, could be TOEIC, could be TOEFL, could be GRE. Oh, okay. Could be any like doctor certificate because we do help like for healthcare association right now in Taiwan to issue certificate for emergency doctor, certificate for uh, nurse practitioners. And that is, like need to be renewed every year. So if that doctor or nurse doesn't renew it, usually... That person is not allowed to work in the, the workspace. So there's an error. Could be because of expiration. What else could it be? Uh, it could be the certificate content came from a different source, not us. For example, they fake a certificate and put it on a fake platform. And they check the certificate onto the same hash to verify it, to say, okay, does it match? And it usually doesn't match because the platform doesn't have the same how to say the public key and private key. The private key should from the type of city government. The public key she is like it just show out right there. So verification doesn't work. So if that person want a fake platform to show the green check, there's one way. There's also store a fake hash on IOTA blockchain, whatever, because people can do that. So the last result that we do is we do double binding with the type of city government. What I mean double binding is actually to prevent people build a same Turing search verification platform same looking as us. When we help the type of city government issue a certificate, we give them a code they can put on their like announcement page and then they embed this kind of announcement page on their official websites. And the official websites, the announcement page point back to our platform and we point back to their platform. So it's like, Technically, on the website domain, double binding. So for the hacker to build the same thing, they also need to try to way to double binding the platform. So they, they need hacking the diversity government website. So entire cost about faking the entire thing gonna be very high. So this is a situation where like Cambridge could check 
Yes. To say, hey, look, this kid really go to this high school, right? Yeah. Or that high school. Yeah. Um, what other applications do you think your technology of trusts also have? You mentioned real estate. Yes. You mentioned, you know, certifications. Yeah. Like, what others do you have in mind? Actually, blockchain can be applied to so many different industries. So for healthcare, uh, we do two part. One is to certify doctors. The other one to certify patients. So to certify doctors, the medical association they issue this kind of like certificate for doctor or certificate for a member or certificate for a reeducation proof like that. Because doctor they need to take I think six hours of courses every every year depending on the association. So that is for certified doctors and their benefits mostly they told us is they will never lose the certificate again because mm-hmm. usually they have so many things in their office. They are so busy. Certificate, I always like gone when they move from one place to the other places or somewhere like putting the book on the shelf and never be found in the future. So that's one thing. Certifying the patients is different. Certifying the patients, it depends on the level of confidentiality. So the easiest one is like the proof of your like disease recognition, the proof of diagnosis. Uh, there will be one of things. So you can use that to apply for insurance and insurance company, they will not be tricked. If you do that thing with doctors and they share the amount of money, if you get insurance, that they usually happen. So proof of diagnosis, uh, it could be proof of the different tests, different health reports. Why doing health reports? Because we want to have the data consistency. Like us, if we do health check every year from different hospital, it's all in different formats. Sometimes paper or they ask us to download app, they send us a PDF file. It should be consistent in one format and you can you can track the different that it goes up go down like that in one id so that's how the healthcare journey be like it is super hard to appreciate hospitals so i think our job is actually to go to some of the use cases that is not that how to say for hospital they will say okay we can make a decision we don't need to go to the government policy i think that's the first thing so they can do it right away second it actually they can charge the patients on the services for example health check report Healthcare report in Taiwan usually costs around like a thousand USD if we do full body. And we can put our budget right in that a thousand USD. We only charge one or two USD per certificates. So it will be somehow cheap for them to do that. And the data confidentiality need to be the same as our like uh, data protection compliance. For example, we do ISO 27701. 27701, we do like local data protection compliance. We do GDPR for European Union. So our compliance is higher than their control policy. So we can serve them. So that's how we grow the business in healthcare. And then outside of healthcare, you mentioned real estate. What else's applications are there? Real estate is uh, very interested. We are helping the developer. So in, in real estate, there are so many different roles. And developer, when they are building houses, they want to create a brand integrity or brand trust with their clients, their buyers. For example, uh, right now what they do without us is when they are building floor by floor, they take photos about a sense. The, the progress or something. Yeah, right? the progress is the structure of the building. And then they send like 20 photos on a Google Drive or OneDrive and give it to the buyers. And every day when the buyers look at it, they feel like the same. They don't understand like what, what's happening right there for first floor, second floor. Uh, the connection and the trust between the developer and, and buyer are so like loose. It's not very close. So what they want to do is actually when they're building floor by floor, they want to do a transparency resume. So we help them invite the, I said it in Chinese, like, I think it's a like construction association, whatever. And they send the expert to the scene 
and then they examine the progress and then give out a report, the certificate, the score right at the moment. So the entire building has an e-resume, you know, what happened in each floor. There's some mistake right here, how they fix it. And during the entire construction progress, the second part of the transparency report, they do like indoor, I think indoor construction. So interior, right? Yeah, interior part about your room, your houses. And they verify the like the toxic gas in the house. What is the amount of it? They verify is the the wood actually from UK or from somewhere because it's not fake or the entire house become digitized. And you can verify every data points right at the moment. So that's how we help developer to do that. Kind of like a housing building inspector kind of thing. Yeah. What is your kind of um, evaluation of Taiwan's blockchain ecosystem in terms of startups? Like, how do you think the current progress is right now? Um, I don't think I'm, a, I'm the best person to to give the statement about that because I'm kind of like out of the circle because I've been time Taiwan is watching people and experts. There are so many, and then they're usually focusing on crypto investment, NFT, and arts. And we're not in the in the space. We're mostly in how can we apply blockchain for trust in your daily life and digital identity. So I think a lot of people build up digital identity or DID, but most of the people start from protocol. So build identity saying we have protocol is safe, uh, it's, it's good to use, and they, they start finding application afterward. And we don't think that work. We did it uh, reversely. We try to find an industry application uh, and the pain points and then start helping them to do certifying and certificates. For a lot of certificate, if you certify people from different angle, it actually become a identity. For example, when you ask me like, Jeff, can you introduce who are you? If I say I'm from Shinju, a proof of housing location certificate, I'm from Shinju. What's your age? I say 27. The national identity is a certificate. So to examine identity actually is a different cut of the angle and that thing is as certificates. So I think that's how we approach the entire problem by building this kind of trustful certificates and then gradually become a digital identity. There are so many applications and people need it because they need to prove who they are. That's what we won't do in the in near future. What sort of advice would you have for other entrepreneurs or younger people who kind of want to start businesses here uh, or abroad? Like what sort of reflections or advice would you give? Yeah. Um, personally, I really believe in to become an entrepreneur, there are a few very important factors. I think I also did it in the me type of stage. Uh, I share two things. One is you need to be in love with pressure. Like where I don't have work, I will usually be very anxious. I need coffee to start the day. If I, I don't have meetings today, I would be like, what should I do today? It will become a so boring day. I need to have so many work, so many progresses, so many achievements within the day so I can see I am actually contributing to the world and I am taking oxygen and using oxygen and I'm wasting the resources of the, the earth. So I think the first thing, like entrepreneur, they need to love pressure and pressure help them grow because pressure is usually came from something that we don't know, we are not familiar with. And by getting used to that pressure, we become a master a expert in the field that we used to not, not knowing. I think the first thing. Second thing is learn things really fast because I tune in. We do application in verifying diamond, verifying real estate, verifying hospital data, verifying pets. It's all different industry. They are so deep. When we are meeting our clients that usually feel like taking a new course and their teachers and students, I need to learn as many as the percentage of the industry so I can help them doing this kind of trust services. I think that's a really interesting for me. So I think that's the two things. So if you feel like, okay, you love pressure, you love fast learning, you're a fast learner, you could be an entrepreneur in the future. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank I you. really appreciate it.